Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Sanctuary week 13. I cannot believe this fantasy season is disappearing before our eyes. But of course, we are here to walk you through the week 13 slate. We're going to get Tom talking through redraft, DFS. And of course, I'm going to drop in a few little dicey nuggets along the way. We're going to start this week with a really interesting matchup. We have got two fairly poor defences that are maybe starting to turn it around over the last few weeks. We've certainly seen flashes. Tom, do you think that these two defences could potentially put the brakes on what looks like on paper a really intriguing matchup? No, I don't. I think, obviously, Jalen Ramsey coming back for the Dolphins is big, and he's looked fantastic. But the Dolphins also lost Jalen Phillips last week, and I think when you look at the commander's defence, any kind of stats that you look at them for on the season, uh, inflated by the fact that a few weeks ago they had two good pass rushers and now they don't. And whether they believe in the guys behind them or not, I think we all know they're a step down from the two that they did have. So for me, this comes down to can Washington's fast-paced offense keep up with Miami's kind of like guns blazing offense, really? We talk about what both these teams like to do, and it is... The commanders want to drop back and pass a lot. They pass at a very high rate and they play quickly. The Dolphins, they play efficiently. They score a lot of points. And it just becomes very difficult to see the commanders having a leg up in this one because their defense is so atrocious, particularly against the pass. They rank 32nd in pass defense DVOA. Against wide receiver 1s, they rank 30th. Wide receiver 2s, 24th. And there isn't a positive matchup for them. Tyreek Hill, it really seems like the Dolphins want to get him these 2,000 yards. And he's on the cusp of it. He's on track. All he has to keep doing is having big games. The commanders, they've allowed 12 different wide receivers to score 17-plus points against them. So I think even though in, in DFS, even though Tyreek is very expensive this week, it's hard to look past him, particularly when we've got cheap players who we're going to get to tonight. And you just look at what they've struggled against, and it is what Tyreek does. I think Jalen Waddle's a fine play. I think Raheem Mostert will be a fine play if Devin Acham misses out. I'm not sure. I haven't seen the latest on that, but Mostert's a 20-plus today. Okay. Well, Mostert's a 20-plus touches in back-to-back games. They're leaning on him like in a way you just don't expect a 31-year-old running back to be leaned upon. Jeff Wilson, he's barely been a factor. Like It felt like against the Jets, they tried to get him going. He had his first 10-point game of the season, but it just doesn't seem to be clicking for him in the same way it did last year. And on the commander's side, Antonio Gibson came back and Brian Robinson pretty much immediately lost that pass-catching role, which had made him like a top sort of 10 running back. When he has that and Gibson's not played, he is incredibly valuable. And against this uh, Miami team where, you know, they rank 21st against the run, if the commanders can keep it close, perhaps Brian Robinson can stay in the game. But I'm not feeling overly optimistic. The two players on the commanders' side that I'd be most leaning towards, though, in DFS lineups would be Curtis Samuel. The Dolphins allow the eighth most fantasy points to slot receivers. Samuel, he plays in the slot 73% of the time, as well as... Logan Thomas, the Dolphins struggle against tight ends. They rank 26th there. And really, 
if you're playing DFS, you can stack this in whatever way you can. If you're playing it in Redraft Dynasty, I think, you know, it's pretty obvious for this one. With an over-under of 50 points is a game where you want to start as many players as possible. Yeah, certainly one to be attacking in those DFS lineups. I'm intrigued with the chance, Tom. I want to pick your brains on this slightly. Six weeks ago, he was the hottest thing in fantasy circles, in dynasty circles. He was being talked about as a top three dynasty running back. The last few weeks, we've obviously had the stint on IR. He's then come back and sort of never got going. It feels like his value has absolutely plummeted. So I'm wondering if it, there's a sneaky little buy window. If you believe in the talent, if you believe that this guy, you know, yeah, he's not going to be 26 points a game. But if he could be explosive on a limited amount of touches, I still think he's a top 12 dynasty running back. I don't think you have to pay those prices. So I do wonder if you can potentially go and get, you know, a mid to late first to go and buy a Chan right now. Is that something you'd potentially be interested in doing? I really struggle with this one because I wanted to be very high on a chance this year. But what we've seen is kind of a book on him. He's that small running back who can't stay healthy. And since week five, he's got two touches for five yards. So even though what he did between weeks three and five was insane and truly insane, you know, like over 100 yards in every game, like just dominating on very few touches... In Dynasty, I'm kind of thinking, okay, well, what does it look like next year? Yes, Raheem Mostert would be going in the age 32 season. Yes, Jeff Wilson would be going in like age 29 or age 30 season. But the Dolphins, I mean, they're probably going to add another back. I don't think that we've seen enough where we could say Devon Ochan could ever be a three-down workhorse, even if he's got that kind of skill set. So for me, I think I'd possibly hold off on it. Yeah, I kind of get that argument. I think it, it depends on the price. If you can get him for probably less than a mid-first, I'm all in. I think if you are having to pay up to go and get him, you're not really buying low. You're paying at appropriate price, and I think that's it. If you can get a buy low, I'd be really intrigued. But we've got a few people in the chat, a few of our members. Evening. Thanks for joining us. But interesting question here from Lewis. This is probably more a question for you, Tom, with your, your best ball head on. He's saying, do you guys think this is the year where we've seen the highest impact from undrafted or late round players in terms of, he said, Moster, Achain, Kyron, Williams, Pukunakua, Tankdale, Zach Moss, guys that went undrafted in a lot of best ball drafts? Well, yeah, but the big part there is that just won't really impact best ball in as big a way as we think because particularly if you're talking about underdog in 18 rounds, a bunch of those guys weren't drafted very often at all. On DraftKings, I've got 5%, Kyron 5%, Puka, and I know that's actually quite a decent amount compared to most people. So I think they are having a big impact, but you look back last year, Geno Smith had a huge impact on the quarterback position, which is an easier position to make a big difference to. Sometimes we see guys at the tight end position have really big difference-making seasons. There, at the running back and wide receiver position, I think you know these kind of big spike weeks. If if Devon Chan had got hot in the playoffs and delivered twenty-two touches for two hundred and thirty-three and four touchdowns, that would be something that would be very hard to overcome for other teams. But generally, yeah, I think in 20-round best ball, it probably suggests that we should be taking more shots and spreading exposure about every single year and trying to hit on those. On 18-round best ball, I think it's probably not going to make as much big impact as we kind of think it might do. Yeah, I think we, we see this 
pretty much every year, I think we just kind of forget about it. I think, you know, you look the likes of Tony Pollard, Jamal Williams, okay, they weren't undrafted, but they were phenomenal values. I mean, Zay Jones was a wide receiver two last year. He was undrafted. I think Curtis Samuel was a wide receiver three, Christian Watson the same. I think we see it almost every year with similar types of players. We just almost have that kind of short-term memory and, and forget about who it is that, that did it the year before and, and just think this year's the year it's happened more than ever before. Kind of thing. Yeah, and we'll talk about it in January, maybe February time when we look back at the ADP and compare it. But the, the important thing to remember is how many players are absolutely stinking up who were <laughs> similar picks. It wasn't too long ago where the conversation was which Giants receiver do you need? Do you need Jalen Hyatt or do you need Paris Campbell? Well, you didn't need either of them. You didn't even need Wondell Robinson, who also went undrafted. You needed none of them, and that kind of applies to a bunch of teams and a bunch of players, sadly. Yeah, it's 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 a tire fire for some of us, you know, Jets fans, Giants fans. There's a few offense out there that you don't want to be part of. But if you want to get your question answered, if you want to start a conversation, get those questions in below. We're going to be here all night answering 100% of your questions. Get them in. We'll answer them. We'll chat it through. The next matchup, we've got two teams that are on absolute fire right now. The the high-flying Denver Broncos, boasting the league's longest winning streak, playing CJ Stroud and the Houston Texans. This feels like a really interesting matchup because there are some great fantasy options, but it's also potentially quite condensed in terms of the fantasy viable options. Is this a matchup that you're finding yourself building lineups around? It's tricky because in in DFS, CJ Stroud and his wide receivers now got incredibly expensive. You're looking at 8,100 for Stroud, 7,400 for Dell, um, and then you're talking 6,800 for Nico Collins. So there are no bargain chips here anymore. Dalton Schultz at 5K is kind of okay, but he's not been practicing. So it's tricky. I think um possibly slightly more in- interested in Russell Wilson stacks this week, going Russell Wilson and Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton, he failed to keep his touchdown streak alive last week against the Browns. He did six consecutive games with a touchdown. He's did a touchdown in all but three games this year. But we kind of expected that because the Browns are so good against the pass. But what he still did, I think he still had like three catches for about 80 yards, at least 60 yards on the day. So he did fine. And I think this is the kind of spot where he can bounce back. The Texans pass defense ranks 26 in DVOA. They've allowed the 19th most fantasy points to wide receivers. And it's been one of those where in recent weeks, things have kind of picked up. We've seen the last four quarterbacks who've faced te- uh, the Texans have all scored 19 points or more as teams are having success against them. So I think that this is a really good situation for the Broncos. Uh, Russell Wilson, he's averaging 16.9 PPR points over the last four games. He's rushed for 30-plus yards in three of the last four, and that's been an area where the Texans sometimes struggle this year. They've allowed four different quarterbacks to rush for 35 yards, so maybe we do see this kind of slimmer, younger-looking Russell Wilson getting getting loose a little bit and making things happen. But I don't think there's too many wrong answers here. I think the, the passing game is very straightforward. The running back situation on both sides is probably a little murkier. We've seen Smaggy P. Ryan have 65-plus yards in back-to-back games. Giovanni Williams like felt like everything was building right for him, but it just hasn't quite materialized into those kind of game-winning weeks, like the volume sometimes there, but it's not quite 
turning into huge performances. And then does Devin Singletary continue to keep this game away from Pierce? I personally think that he will. I'm not sure I can play either in DFS, though, because we really need someone to separate, and there's so much value on the slate this week. Do you have any concerns around Russell Wilson's crazy high touchdown rate? He's got the highest touchdown rate of any quarterback in the league that's attempt, I think it's 150 pass attempts. I think it's 6.3%. Do you have any concerns that that could regress and we start to see perhaps some more rushing touchdowns, perhaps just this offense not score as many touchdowns as they have so far this year? Well, the thing with Russell Wilson is that like since week five, he's played the Jets, the Chiefs, who have a very good defense. He's played them twice. He's played Buffalo, who aren't a particularly good defense, but, you know, some nights they play above what they've got in their quality. And then he's played the Browns. So I think he's had to be efficient. And some of those plays have come when he's been not quite the old let Russ cook sort of thing, but he's been, like, really having to make things happen. So there has been a flukiness to it. I mean, the Cortland Sutton touchdown a couple of weeks back was one of the greatest catches that we've seen all season. But sometimes it's better to be, you know, lucky than out of luck, isn't it, like this? You know, you'd much rather a player was getting there than not. And there'll be games where that does come back to haunt him. But against Texans defense for the seventh worst in pass defense DVOA, I just I don't think it's going to be this week. Yeah, and I would say he did have a crazy low touchdown rate last year. So I guess you could yeah. argue that this year is regressing regression for last year being low. So yeah, however, however you want to spin the regression wheel, I'm sure you can get it to point in your favor. But we're talking about two offenses that have been on fire, two teams that have certainly stuttered the last two weeks. I think Detroit, you know, Jared Goff has had some struggles. New Orleans have basically got no healthy wide receivers. Is this a game that because of those injuries you're looking to avoid? Yeah, it doesn't feel particularly great. And the 45.5 over under feels a little ambitious in some ways. That's giving Detroit four they're favoured by. But Goff, he kind of... The one thing we've been able to count on with Jared Goff is that all the way back to like his time in college, his home road splits have been very much favoring the home splits. And he's been bad in back-to-back games. We saw it last week at home on Thanksgiving. And over the last two, he's combined for three interceptions and three fumbles. What's kind of saved him for fantasy is that he's thrown for two touchdowns in three straight games. And some of them, yes, they're coming in garbage time, but garbage time counts just fine for fantasy. So I don't have a problem with that too much. I think this Saints team, they're hurting across the field. You know, they've lost Marshawn Lattimore to injured reserve, which makes their defense a little easier to get at. And I think I wouldn't have any concerns about playing a Monroe St. Brown. He's had 12.3 tights per game over the last six. Over those six, he's only had two games below 18.5 PPR points. Like, he's just straight cash every week. Monty and Gibbs, I think that's the real question. Again, it's another one of these backfields where we've got questions about how to play it. What it seems like would be good for them is to kind of almost end up doing what the Bears did last year, where you would get David Montgomery for a series, then you'd get Khalil Herbert for a series, and let them figure it out like that. But it seems to be much more that they're just pushing... Gibbs out there when they're chasing the game, David Montgomery only when things are going favourably or they get to the goal line, which makes it quite tricky from a DFS point of view unless you have a strong feeling about what the Saints are going to do this week. 
when you talk about saying so, you mentioned it. A.T. Perry is probably going to be their wide receiver one, and this is their wide receiver room because Chris Olave is in concussion protocol. Rashid Shaheed is dealing with a quad injury that the team have said they expect to sideline him this week. Michael Thomas already on injured reserve. They have Keith Kirkwood, Marcus Calloway, Lynn Bowden Jr., and somebody called John Trey Kirkland, who is new to me. So I think A.T. Perry at 3,300 on DraftKings is worth the dart throw. I don't think the Lions' defense has shown us enough over the last couple of weeks that we need to be scared of them particularly. And their pass defense, it ranks 13th, which is you know, kind of middle of the pack almost. Um, but I don't have much faith in Derek Carr. I think it's much easier to just look at this one and go, okay, Alvin Kamara's coming off 119 all-purpose yards against the Falcons. Taysom Hill will mix in much more than we would like. And then Juwan Johnson, he had a season-high seven targets coming out of the bye week. Derek Carr spoke about how they wanted to get him going during the bye week. So perhaps those three are kind of usable in redraft to an extent. In DFS, generally I've been avoiding the Saints games this year because they just have a habit of being disappointing and not really delivering high-scoring points. The Lions' run defense has been something that they've been able to lean on over the last couple of years. But in recent weeks, they've given up 20-plus point days to both Austin Eckler and Gus Edwards, so I don't really have any qualms about playing Alvin Kamara. I just probably keep him for tournaments. I'm not sure I can get there for cash, like double-up multiplier games this week. Yeah, it feels like this could be the week that everybody's pointing towards Taysom Hill and going, they've got no wide receivers, it's going to be a Taysom Hill week, and he, he probably doesn't even get used at all and, and burns everybody <laughs> that puts any investment in him. But that's that's what happens when you invest in Taysom Hill, isn't it? Let's be honest. Uh, the next matchup we're going to dive across to is Indianapolis at Tennessee. Are we are we expecting this to be interesting? Are we expecting this to be firing? Or, or is this just going to be a case of... Tennessee throttles Indianapolis and kind of puts them into the bind and, and it becomes a low-scoring affair. So I think this is a game which is going to attract ownership because for a start, Zach Moss is far too cheap this week. You know, he's down at 4,600 on DraftKings, which just makes him a free square. Like, I've seen ownership projections for him to be well over 50% in large field tournaments, as high as 80% in small field, which is sub-1,000 players. Um, and I think it's kind of deserved to an extent because we saw him at the start of the year averaging 20.7 points per game over his first five games. The last time that Zach Moss played the Titans, in, I think it was like week five, he had 195 all-purpose yards and two touchdowns. That's the third most by any running back this season in an individual game. And so we started this year thinking, okay, the Titans are good against the run. But since that game against Zach Moss, they've kind of fallen down the ratings week after week. And they rank 16th against the, um, sorry, they rank second best in DVOA because they have all the kind of efficiency metrics. They keep players to low yards per carry and they keep players to not breaking massive runs frequently. But since week 10, both Rashad White and Shuba Hubbard have scored at least 17 points versus the Titans. So I don't, I, I kind of feel like DVOA is treating the Titans a little bit more, you know, fluffing them up a bit more than we need to worry about for fantasy. In terms of the passing game, Michael Pittman is going to attract ownership again, and he's an absolute smash start. Michael Pittman has had the seventh most wide receiver targets at 111. He's averaging 10.1 per game, 
and scoring no fewer than 14.4 points in his last six games. And that's something which the Titans just can't defend. They rank 30th in DVOA against the pass. They've allowed the sixth most fantasy points to the position. But I don't think I'll get to a point where I want to be stacking Gardner Minshew with him because you look at what he's doing and he's just not fantasy viable. The days of him he's being fun fan- Yeah, he's not good. We've been on this train for a while. He's averaged 11.2 points over his last four games. Josh Downs, 13 targets in week 12, but he only caught five of them. So you can take your dart throws at Josh Downs. I don't mind that at all. And then on the Titan side of this... Will Levis, I mean, it just it looked so promising in that week eight debut. Since then, he's had one double digit game, and that was like 10 points or so. It wasn't like a good enough fantasy day where you'd even want him being your QB2 in Superflex. Chigozi McConquo did get going last week. We talked about it being an okay matchup for him, but he still only had four catches for 45 yards. So you're still talking less than 10 points, which isn't what we're after. And DeAndre Hopkins, like, that game where in week eight where Will Levis was just throwing the ball downfield to him and it was just magic. He's only had five targets in each of the last two games. Things aren't going well at all for the passing game, but I think you can lean into the running game on the Titan side of this. Derek Henry last week had his second highest opportunity share of the season at like 76%. And that isn't anything to really be like, okay, that was incredible because it was against Carolina, which is like one of the most easy matchups we you can find as a running back. But the Colts aren't much better. They've allowed the seventh most fantasy points to running backs. They rank 24th in run defense DVOA. So as long as the Titans can kind of stay within an okay neutral game script, I think we could be in for another Derrick Henry big week. And there aren't going to be many left of these. And I want to play Derrick Henry when I can. <laughs> I think on... Like yeah, I I agree. It's good fun, Derek Henry. There's there's few players that are as fun when they're scoring fantasy points to watch as Derek Henry. But on the Zach Moss point, we had a fantastic conversation in the Discord. There's been chats about it all week about, you know, is it kind of getting too smart trying to avoid him? Is it the right play to just plug him in? Is there a world where yes, he's ridiculously cheap. Yes, he's got a potentially huge workload, and we've seen him do it again. Is there a world where you're getting away from him or is it just a case of you're just eating the chalk and you've just kind of got to sit, stick him in that lineup? Yeah, I think in cash games, if you're playing double-ups, multipliers, there's no need to overthink it. You just go, okay, he's 4600 He's probably, if you look at like the $25 double-up single entries on Sunday, I'd be surprised if he's less than 80% rostered in those. In tournaments, I think you need to be conscious of what it means for the rest of your lineup. We'll talk about it in the DFS clinic video this week. That's a YouTube members only video that we do each week where we talk about ways to leverage plays against others, ways to, you know, what GPP stacks we should be building around, what cash game core we should build around. And I think there's ways that you can get different. I think, you know, you just need to be conscious going, okay, if I'm plugging in a 50%, 60% rostered player, what does that mean for how I build the lineup around that? Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And we've got um, Blurpy in the chat um, is asking off the back of the last match we were talking about, Taysom Hill or Jake Ferguson. He is projected to lose and his opponent is playing Dak. Whether that adjusts your opinion at all slightly? Who have the Cowboys got? The Cowboys play tonight, don't they, against the Seahawks? I mean... 
I don't really have a strong lean either way there. The Seahawks ranked 21st against tight ends, so they're not strong. They're not, you know, the weakest. I think I'd probably just go with Taysom Hill because it feels like a Taysom Hill week. But I mean, I could coin flip that one to be honest. Yeah, I'd I'd go Taysom Hill. I've got him ranked as a top five option this week. As much as I joked about they could potentially go away from him, I think you've got to believe that there's going to be enough volume there. They've basically got no other weapons. So, yeah, I think I'd go him over Ferguson. He's had some some flashes, but has has not been getting it done massively the last few weeks. So uh, that's certainly where I'd go. But if you're here, you've made it 25 minutes into the video. Make sure you hit that subscribe. Our one single aim is to help you win, whether that be more money in DFS or your Dynasty Redraft Best Ball Leagues. That is our pure aim and what we are going to continue to try to do for you week in, week out, in season, off season and beyond. Um, the next matchup, we've got the Chargers against the Patriots. Is this finally the get right game for this entire Chargers offense? <laughs> You'd like to think so. I mean, the the Chargers played really well against the Ravens in some ways. I think their defense looked better than I've seen it play all season. And they needed that kind of performance because the seats were getting very warm in LA. I think Justin Herbert, he was in really good form preceding the Ravens game. He did two top four options in back-to-back weeks before the Ravens kind of took the air out of that game and he finished with only 15 points. But what we've seen from him over the last couple of games has been a willingness to run more in back-to-back games than we've probably seen at any point. Like he said, 120 rushing yards in the last two games. For the rest of the season combined, he had 124 before those. So he's really giving you a floor that he wasn't doing so before. And he kind of needs to because Austin Eckler has looked so poor over the last couple of games. You know, he's in back-to-back games outside the top 30. And he's a very difficult player to trust. I've got teams where I've got Austin Eckler and I'm debating starting players like, you know, the kind of Gus Edwards tier of running backs. Do I need to start one of those over Austin Eckler because he's been such a headache? The Patriots, they are a good run defense. They rank fifth in DVOA. They're a poor pass defense, so you imagine it's probably not going to be an Austin Eckler week unless he gets there through the air. Keenan Allen, he had 15 targets last week, 14 catches for 106 yards. He's had double-digit catches and 100-plus yards in each of the last three games. You know what you're getting with Keenan Allen. There's no need to worry about that. In terms of the additional wide receivers there, Jalen Guyton, he's played 79% of snaps in Week 10, 80% in Week 12. He's had 11 targets across those two games. The Patriots, they ranked 23rd against wide receiver twos. They're 25th in pass defense DVOA. I think Jalen Guyton is a fine DFS sort of dart throw at 3,300 this week. I don't mind Gerald Everett. We saw last week he got into the end zone against the Ravens, and we really need him to get back to the kind of form which he had down the back end last year. And then on the Patriots' side, I think you can look at Ramondre Stevenson, who has really rediscovered his form over the back half this year. Like over the first five weeks, he was averaging 2.7 yards per carry. Since then, it's got up to like 5.2 yards per carry. And Stevenson last week, he had his biggest opportunity share of the season, 68%. Had a season high 98 rushing yards, just two away from that kind of 100 point bonus that we really care about in DraftKings. But he scored over 20 points for the second time in three games. 
And the Chargers, they've allowed six different running backs to score 17 PPR points or more against them, including, I think it was uh, week 10, both David Montgomery and Jameer Kibbs had over 17 points. So, yeah, you can get at the Chargers on the ground. And if the Patriots are starting, whoever they are at quarterback, they're probably going to want to lean on the running game. Yeah, it feels like it's kind of got to be Bailey Zappi, doesn't he, at quarterback? I, I think Mac Jones is a broken human being now. I think if they trot him out, I think maybe Bill Belichick's going to get reported for some sort of abuse because it feels like he's just so broken and so not put together that they can't roll him out yet again. Um, on the Austin Eckler point, I said it a couple of weeks ago on the Risers Fallers videos, he is a must-sell in Dynasty. I think he doesn't look like the same player. I think he looks old. I think he looks slow. He's a free agent at the end of the year. I can't imagine a new regime in the Chargers is going to keep him around. And I just don't see him having any huge role as a free agent back, given his workload, given his age. So, yeah, What's the lowest you would take for him? I got asked this earlier, and I said I would accept a mid-second. I don't think you have to accept that. I think that you could get more. I've still seen him going for a first, which is absolutely wild to me. But I think that, yeah, right now, I think you, if you're not a contender, you've kind of got to get him off your roster because I think that there's such little value heading into next year, quite frankly. And if you were a contender, would you keep him? I think you've got to because I think anything you're getting in return, like as much as I'm saying I don't think he's he's looked right, that volume and the workload he's going to get, you're never going to get a player that's got that potential in return. So I think if you're a contender, you've just got to accept it and say, look, I'm going to eat the, basically the, this is the end of his fantasy relevant career. And he's probably going to have no resale value in the off season, but I've, I've kind of got to hold it and hope that he can put together. Cause also the other thing is that his playoff stretch is, is pretty impressive. So uh, it could potentially be appealing there. Um, we got the Smitty saying uh, in the chat, is Achain playing? Don't know for sure, but it's looking that way would be how I'd describe it right now. I think he was limited in practice today and and the the vibes are that, that he's leaning towards playing. Would you agree? Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, if they sit him for this one, I would say it bodes really well for him down the stretch because... The Dolphins should be able to beat the Commanders regardless. And if they sit him to make sure that he's really fresh, then that could be fantastic to signs that they might really lean on him in the coming weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Another matchup with new offensive coordinator, hopefully some more upside. We've got Arizona at Pittsburgh. We saw completely different uh, passing chart from Kenny Pickett last week, actually realising that there is a middle of the field that he's allowed to throw into. That saw huge gains for Pat Frymuth, who had his best week of the season. Do you think that's a one-week blip? Or do you think that this is now something that we could potentially look at as a, a value tight end moving forward? Yeah, so it was quite revealing that, that Frymuth talked this week about how the game plan was that if they saw two high safety looks, that they were going to look to target him in the middle of the field. And it wasn't even just like his best game of the season. It was a career high for him. He had 120 yards, first time he's ever gone over 100. And that's a player who's been in the league for a good few years now as well. And what's worth remembering is that the Cardinals also play two high safety looks quite a lot. It's not an intelligent defense that they play. It's quite basic in a lot of its schemes. And I think that... 
the Cardinals could be in trouble again here. I think it's really difficult, though, because we know this offense isn't going to score touchdowns. Kenny Pickett, he, you know, even last week in the Steelers' first 400-plus yard game on offense since Big Ben was at quarterback, Kenny Pickett had 11 points. He has six passing touchdowns this year. He's not thrown one since week nine. He's only got one since, like, week six. So you're really counting on players to be able to get there through volume alone. If you're playing in half PPR formats or if you're playing in standard formats, I can't imagine it's much fun at all, really. But the running backs are where I land. You know, Najee Harris, I mentioned this in the DFS deep dive right up that our subscribers on the Discord get. But it's kind of just time to wipe the slate clean with Najee and view it through a clean lens for the rest of this season. One of my biggest problems with Najee Harris has always been that at times he's looked like a plodder. Well, Najee Harris leads the league in 15-plus yard runs this year, and we know that Jalen Warren can be explosive. We know that the Cardinals' defense is awful against a run. They rank 30th in run defense DVOA. They've allowed the fifth-most fantasy points to running backs. So, yeah, I think that it's – sorry, the second-most fantasy points to running backs. So it's an area where we can lean on either taking shots at Najee Harris or Jalen Warren in DFS. In redraft, I'd start both of them quite happily. We saw what Kyron Williams did to this defense last week. And then on the other side, it feels fairly straightforward. You know, Kyler Murray's been a top 12 quarterback every week since he came back. Yes, last week, rushing yards weren't there. He only had two rushing yards, but he got there through the passing game. James Conner, I don't feel like he's particularly startable at the minute. I think if you've got a better option, you probably want to take it. In the three games that he's played with Kyler Murray, he has six receiving yards. He's just not getting that work that we saw when Josh Dobbs was there, when you know, when we've seen other quarterbacks in there. Trey McBride, Zach Ertz was released earlier today, just completely clears the pathway. Any kind of worry that you had about Trey McBride is erased. We've seen he's had 20 catches in the three games with Kyler Murray. Hollywood Brown kind of got going a little bit last week, a lot of garbage time because the game was out of hand so early. He had six for 88, still no touchdowns with Kyler. But eventually it's going to break. And I think that the Steelers, their pass defense isn't as, you know, it ranks seventh. But outside of Joey Porter, they really have problems when Minka Fitzpatrick's not on the field. Yeah, I think the James Conner point is a great one because the reason James Conner was a good value in the offseason and the reason why both of us were high on James Conner this year was that there was nobody else in this backfield and he was going to eat on just volume alone. The problem is, is they've added Michael Carter. And whilst Michael Carter isn't going to be fantasy relevant and quite frankly, isn't very good. The one thing he is competent at is as a third down receiving back, which is annoyingly just going to eat into James Connor's workload enough that it stops James Connor being that kind of solid RB2 and puts him into that flex territory. Yeah, it's not good enough for Michael Carr for him to be fantasy relevant at all. So it's it's just that annoying player that eats into a workload and achieves nothing, quite frankly. So, yeah, very annoyed about what James Conner is probably going to be down the stretch because if you're were hoping he was going to be an RB2, sadly, I think he's probably going to be more like an RB3 flex play from here on out for the rest of the year. The next matchup, it is a stinker. Of course, we're talking about my New York Jets yet again. Atlanta at the Jets. Look, the Atlanta offense 
was better last week. I wouldn't say it was phenomenal, but against this New York Jets defense that we know is going to be good, is this just a matchup 34 over under? You're just crossing up and saying, I'll leave that one. Let's move on. Maybe I'm just a sucker for punishment, but like <laughs> I find myself wanting to go back to Bijan Robinson here. He had a career-high 27.3 fantasy points last week, which was his first 20-point game since week two. And it really feels like things have clicked a little for Arthur Smith, that he has to get one of these high draft picks producing. And Bijan Robinson, you know, he just is exactly as advertised. He averaged 5.7 yards per carry, 10.7 yards per reception. The receiving touchdown he scored was fantastic. Real high-caliber stuff. Drake London had the second-most yards of the season, 91. But those are the only two that I view as playable. I don't feel like Kyle Pitts is worth playing in any formats. He's had only two games inside the top 14 all year. I know that the Jets sometimes struggle against the tight end position. They give up touchdowns, but I feel like that's one where Kyle Pitts is pro- might pop up for a touchdown on one of those kind of rare occasions, but he'll finish for like two for 25 and a touchdown or something. On the other side, I mean, yeah, it's miserable. Garrett Wilson's been averaging 63.5 yards per game, 27th among all wide receivers. He's been over 17 PPR points in four of his last six games, but it just feels really difficult to project him for anything this week. We've talked at points this year where the Falcons can be quite good at taking away a top option. They bring Jesse Bates in to shadow against players. They, you know, they move, I forget the name of the cornerback. AJ AJ Terrell around to shadow at times. So yeah. And then the Falcons are also good against a run. They've been, they've allowed the second fewest fantasy points to the position. Brees Hall, he's averaging 2.6 yards per carry over this last six game. He did get a season-high nine targets last week, so perhaps he can get there in the receiving game. But generally speaking, it's Bijan, and that's about it for me this week. Yeah, I, I think that there is a world where Brees Hall basically gets heavily used in the passing game and, and has a good fantasy day, but it is hard to get too excited about any ceiling. He's had a decent run. I think he's had seven consecutive weeks of 10-plus fancy points, but there's just not that ceiling at the moment with where this offense is. It's not getting the usage in around the red zone. He's, you know, sadly, this offense is only um, converting a first down 58% of drives, which is just worse in the league. It's abysmal. Like, basically... because this offence is completely incompetent, Brees Hall isn't getting the opportunities to show his talent and he is insanely talented. Um, Another question from Smitty saying, what's the status on Devonta Foreman? Because I've got Khalil Herbert. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I've seen anything new on him. I don't think, I think maybe a limited in practice, but that's one which I must admit has kind of got me gone by me. But what we saw with Khalil Herbert last week is it looks like the Bears definitely want Roshan Johnson to be a big part of their offense down the stretch. Yeah, I I think it it doesn't even matter if Dante Foreman isn't active. I think you're struggling to start Khalil Herbert as anything more than probably a flex play because I think, as you said, it's Roshan Johnson that they want to get utilised. He's a better three down back. He's a better profile for that. And and that's what definitely where they're going. Um, the next matchup, another stinker, potentially two bad offenses that we don't want to touch. Uh, Carolina at Tampa Bay. Do you think there's some sneaky upside here? 
Well, there's two players who I have gone back to time and time again this year, and it's Rashad White, who is coming off possibly one of the best games of his career. It was the first time this year the Bucks have had a 100-yard rushing performance from any player, and it's only the second time in the last two seasons that they've had one. White, we normally associate with getting there through the receiving game, you know, because he's not a particularly good runner. But last week he did well, you know, he averaged uh, 6.7 yards per carry, which again is the highest amount that any running back has managed on over 10 touches for the last two years for the Bucks. So I think we saw something out of him that we haven't seen before. The Panthers, they rank 32nd in run defense DVOA. They've given up the third most rushing points to running backs. They've also allowed a league high 1.5 rushing touchdowns per game to running backs. No other teams over 1.1. All year, you can just pretty much pencil in a running back touchdown against the Panthers. And then the other player who I just can't get away from this year, and part of it is helping me get over the fact that I drafted very little of him in best ball. But Mike Evans, this is the matchup where in the 2022 season, he went for 10 receptions, 207 yards, three touchdowns, won me that trophy sitting right there in the final week. And his history against the Panthers, you look back and he's had over 80 yards in pretty much every game over the last six or seven. And I just really think that the Bucks can go out and win this game in whatever way they want. In terms of the Panthers side, look, I mean, you start Adam feeling if you need to, but last week was a good reminder that things just aren't good on this offense. We've seen the clips. Jonathan Mingo doesn't look like an NFL caliber receiver right now. DJ Chark looks absolutely cooked in the NFL, completely lacking any kind of effort or ability to get away from defenders. And yeah, if you were counting on anyone else, I mean, maybe Tuba Hubbard, but the books, they are a good run defense. They rank uh, 13th. They've allowed the seventh fewest fantasy points to the running back position. So you possibly hoping he gets there and catches really more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, look, let's let's be honest as well. Anytime a team loses their head coach, we talk about the head coach bump. Anytime a team's losing their head coach, their quarterback's coach, their running back coach, I'm concerned about that offense. So uh, yeah, maybe maybe not too excited about the the Carolina. On the Mike Evans point, are you concerned? So Carolina so far this year is a second in adjusted fantasy points allowed to the wide receiver position. A lot of that has been, as you said, where they're basically horrendous against running backs. So teams get up on them and, and just run the ball. Are you concerned that that could limit Mike Evans' upside potentially for a DFS side of things particularly? So, yeah, it's kind of a little bit of that is definitely something like I probably wouldn't be playing Mike Evans in cash games this week. I think there's probably safer options. I'd rather find 600 more to go up to like Amon Rasen Brown. I'd rather go down to even Brandon Ayuk, 500 cheaper. But in tournaments, definitely we know the upsides there. And the Panthers, even though they've been quite good against, you know, and not surrendering massive days, they have still given up massive days, uh, decent-sized days to Tyree Kill, CeeDee Lamb, DK Metcalf. More often than not, the really talented guys have found a way to get there. Yeah, perfect. Um, question uh, from Thomas in the chat. He said, he's streaming tight end this week, half PPR. Would you go Everett, I guess that's Otten, or Higby? 
<laughs> um, I think I'd possibly lean towards Gerald Everett. I feel like you know that's got to be something that the Chargers want to get going, and I don't feel like you know the Patriots they rank fairly well against tight end position, but I just feel like what Gerald Everett is good at is creating those yards after the catch moments, and uh, hopefully he can turn a corner. Yeah, I think I it's close to me between Otten and Everett. I think I'd lean Otten. My question to you would be, Thomas, is Juwan Johnson available? Um, because I definitely prefer him over these three guys, and I think he's the kind of guy that's probably sat on your waiver wire out there right now as well. If you want to have more conversations with Tom and I, if you want to have us at your fingertips 24 hours a day in the Discord chat, you can become a member. You hit that little join button down below. You can join, as you can see on the screen, Golden Debt Chair, get access to all of my Dynasty content, my survival kit, my trade calculator, the rookie guide. And then on top of that, you get all of Tom's DFS content. You get an exclusive video every week, his write-ups, and you can pick his brains. It is incredible value, and you will not regret it. The I next mean, let's, let's, just, let's just nail home the fact that, yeah, it's less than $2 a week, pound fifty a week per month, you want to win some money between now and the end of the season. You want to make sure you crush those fantasy matchups. Sign up. You will not regret it. Absolutely. So we've got Cleveland against the Rams. We saw this Rams offense ball out massively, perhaps not in the way we expected last week. Puka and Cup both struggling. Kyron Williams exploding once he's back healthy. And then obviously Tyler Higby just popping up for two tight ends because, you know, tight ends matter, I guess, at some point. But against an amazing Cleveland defense that's got no offense. Do you think that we can rely on Puka, Cup, Kyron Williams? It's it's really tricky because kind of what we saw last week with the Browns is that their defense is fantastic, but when you have incredibly poor quarterback play, the defense is going to get tired. And that's what led to the Broncos eventually being able to run the ball. You know, they ran the ball 39 times for 169 yards and two rushing touchdowns last week. And I think that that's a formula which the Rams should be leaning into. We've seen Kyron Williams just is legit. He picked up right back where he left off. He had 38.4 PPR points, finishes the RB1 overall on DraftKings. He had over 40 points. You were not winning tournaments if you didn't play Kyron Williams last week. His 204 total yards were the second most by a running back this year. His 56-yard run was the longest play the Rams have had on offense all year which kind of speaks to where the Rams are. We remember them a couple of years ago on their Super Bowl run where Cooper Cup was breaking plays. It was just like things were happening all over the field at times. And now it's just not, you know, Cooper Cup, his last five wide receiver finishes, 53, 74, 49, 86, and 75. I think in redraft right now, there is absolutely no way you can start Cooper Cup. It's a problem which I'm having because I was very high on him coming into this season. There was a point where I was even talking him up as the wide receiver one overall. But I just didn't expect Puka Nakua to hit like this. I didn't expect Tutu Atwell to even come along as well as he's done. So it's really tricky for me to get there on any of the passing game options because, as well, the Browns' defense is very good at defending virtually every passing game option. They are weaker against a run. They rank second against the pass and they rank third against the run but in terms of fantasy points in terms of fantasy points they've given up the fewest to quarterbacks the fewest to wide receivers and the fewest to tight ends but they've given up the 
21st most running backs. It's an area they are slightly more susceptible to. And with Joe Flacco there, it's hard to imagine that this Browns offense is going to be marching up and down the field. The one hope we have is that in PPR formats, we're going to latch onto these PPR scams. Elijah Moore, who over his career has played with Joe Flacco on a few occasions, and he averages 11.83 PPR points in games with Flacco compared to 7.7 without. David Njoku is a huge part of a game plan at the minute. He's had 33 targets in the last three games. Joe Flacco throughout his career has always targeted tight ends at a decent clip. So I think you can start Elijah Moore as a dart throw. I think you can start David Njoku with relative confidence against the Rams team that's allowed the eighth most fantasy points to the position. Amari Cooper, I'd struggle with. Um, Joe Flacco pushing the ball downfield or onto the boundary at this point in his career with his arm strength. I don't know. I mean, the spiral's going to look pretty, but I'm not sure they're going to reach Amari Cooper. Yeah, it, it feels I'm looking at this matchup as a disgusting one. I've got a lot of these players ranked lower than consensus this week. But then I take I go look and look at the gambling and the over-unders already moved to 40. 92% of the remaining cash is on the over. So potentially the line's going to move even higher. And I'm sort of thinking, I thought this was going to be a really bad low-scoring affair. But obviously Vegas and the people that, that have got the money are disagreeing with me right now so maybe there's some sneaky upside from guys that that we can tap in as this over under starts to creep up as we get towards sunday i guess it would just be faith in both running games which we've seen be good at times this year but yeah outside of that it's not a game i'm particularly looking forward to being on i believe that's in the late game so we'll catch plenty of it even on red zone yeah absolutely the matchup of the week though certainly one i'm looking forward to play uh, to watching plenty of san francisco at Philadelphia, is this just one of those where it's going to be chalky, but let's try and get as many of these options in those lineups as we can? Yeah, so from a DFS perspective, last week we talked about how the Bills-Eagles game was one where you just had to make it work, and there were ways where you could make it work, and there were salary savers in places, and then just making sure you had the difference makers. We talked about how... Gabe Davis had a really nice matchup and he goes out there and has a really good game. Could have had an even better game if he turned his head the right way on that overtime deep ball into the end zone. And so Gabe Davis was less than 9% rostered in some of the single entry contests I was in. He was under 5% in a bunch of others. So finding ways to attack it like that is what's going to help you open things up. But also heavily attacking games like this. You know, if you're playing... DFS slates and just onslaught this game and it goes to be like a 60 point game then that can be fine that can bring you up the draft board even if you're relatively chalky along the way so I have no problem with attacking this game heavily in redraft I think it's really straightforward you start practically everyone in it I have a little bit of concern about the running backs uh the Eagles they are weak against the pass this year, but they've been very stout against the run. They rank fourth in DVOA against the run. The Niners, they also they rank third against the run. And DeAndre Swift, you know, between weeks two and six, he never finished worse than RB15. Since then, he's finished outside of RB23 or worse on three occasions. It's just not quite as magic as it was at the start of the season. From a passing game point of view, both these teams have struggles against the pass. The Eagles' defense allow a league-high 45.8 points to wide receivers. Nine different wide receivers have scored 18 or more PPR points against them. 
I like both last week, Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs both went over that mark. The Niners, they have the league's best passing offense, and they're facing this Eagles defense, which is going to surrender points. I think you can look at Devonta Smith as somebody who should be in line for another big game because in games without Dallas got, got it, he averages 18 more receiving yards at 77.4 per game. And the Niners, they have the 10th most fantasy points to wide receivers. We've given up top five finishes to both Jordan Addison and Jamar Chase since week seven. So I have confidence in pretty much everyone at that kind of across the board. I think I like stacking Debo Samuel with Brandon Ayuk this week. The Eagles have been particularly vulnerable to wide receivers on the perimeter and in the slot. Like they're just they're struggling against both. They are better against tight end position, better against the running back. So for me, it feels like you want Debo and Ayuk and just see how things land. Yeah, I agree 100%. Ayuk, Debo, AJ Brown, Devonta Smith, they're all top 16 options for me this week. Um, I think it's hard to, if you've got them, get away from them. I think it's it's a really interesting uh, place to go and attack. What's hopefully going to be an exciting matchup, just looking at the cash numbers right now, the, the over-unders already moved to 47.5 and 98% uh, of the cash is still on the over there. So this, uh, this over-under is probably going to creep up towards 50 by the time we get towards Sunday. The, the moving towards the, the later games, we've got Kansas City at Green Bay. Now, Kansas City hasn't been the high-flying offence that we thought, but last week, Rashi Rice, it feels like they're finally starting to work out how to use him. They're not trying to pigeonhole him and say, go and be a traditional wide receiver. They're saying, let's use you on screens. Let's get the ball in your hands and allow you to be a, uh, you know, essentially... A running back in the in the open field, should we say? Average depth of target of four last week. Do you think that we can buy into Rashi Rice getting more workload and becoming a, an even bigger part of this offense as we move forward? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that kind of stuff. It's worth remembering that, like Tyreek Hill in his early days with Kansas City, like they were doing jet sweeps and pop passes to him constantly because they wanted to make use of what works for him and his abilities as a speedster and all that. So seeing Rashi Rice being used in ways for getting the ball in his hands quickly is completely fine by me. He doubled his previous career high of four touches to eight, had his first 100-plus yard game, and it just seems very clear now that we're going to see Rashi Rice is the clear choice behind Travis Kelsey. Sky Moore's still going to be involved. Sky Moore's actually catching the ball now, which is quite an achievement for him given the last couple of years. Marcus Valdez-Scantling is just out there getting his cardio in, doing run blocking, and you know he'll get one, two targets a game that, if they come good, could turn into fantasy points, but we're well beyond the point where he's even a better in best ball pick now. Mahomes, though, like, it was kind of reassuring to see him get back inside the top 10 quarterbacks for the first time since week seven, because you draft Mahomes at such a high cost, or you pay up for him such a high cost in Dynasty, but you really need him to be performing like that at this point in the year. We saw last week we talked about Isaiah Pacheco being in a really good matchup against the Raiders, finishes the RB4 overall, but he's still very touchdown reliant. He's only got one top 22 finish when he's not scoring touchdowns. But this week, I don't think we need to worry about that because the Packers allow the 11th most fantasy points to opposing running backs. And on the other side of this, Christian Watson, we've seen a concerted effort to make sure that he's got going over the last two weeks. You know, they've got him via 
touchdown two weeks ago, and then last week, straight from the first drive, it was shots to Christian Watson, and it worked out. And for a player like him, confidence seems like it's going to be massive. He's had eight catches for 116 yards, two touchdowns the last two games. I think you can start him if you need to. Jordan Love is back in kind of consider every week consideration after, you know, two top 10 quarterback performances in back-to-back weeks. Underdog Fantasy did a great episode this week looking at his abilities and how he's actually improving as a player over the last few weeks. And it's well worth checking out. Even though Kansas City are strong against the pass, I feel like I've got enough confidence in the Packers this week to roll out Jordan Love. AJ Dillon, I mean, we just we talk about every week. He's not a good running back. 3.1 yards per carry. Maybe he does better here against the Chiefs team who are stronger against the pass than they are against the run, but I don't know. I just feel like at this point you can find someone better to start than AJ Dillon. Yeah, absolutely. On on the Jordan Love point, it feels like his value this year has been a complete roller coaster. We had a phenomenal start where he was perform you know outperforming massively in the touchdown world who's had unsustainable touchdown rates and everyone was calling him you know the next great superstar at the quarterback position for fantasy he then dis you know regressed had a few disappointing weeks and his value plummeted people were you know saying he wasn't going to be the starting quarterback next year and now all of a sudden everybody's back in and calling him a, a superstar and a, a top 12 option so I think that that he the type of player he is the the areas of the field he's attacking you know he's got I think it's the second highest a dot of any starting quarterback at the moment behind only Will Levis and Will Levis passing tree is is just not not normal quite frankly he's pushing the ball downfield which is fantastic but that by the very nature he's going to be more boom bust because those passes are completed at a lower percentage so it, you know if he has a good week and he completes three or four of them it turns into a really good fantasy week. If they don't get completed, it becomes a bad one. So I think that we almost need to accept Jordan Love is, he is a good enough quarterback to be starting in the NFL. He, given the fact that his cap number next year is criminally low because of restructuring his contract for this year, he's going to be the starting quarterback for Green Bay next year. I think that for fantasy, you almost need to say, if he's my QB one, I'm in trouble. If he's my QB two, and I can afford, you know, I'm good enough to afford those good weeks with along with the bad. He could be a really interesting option. If if you're, you know, if he's your QB three and, and you can only play him when it's good matchups, then you're absolutely laughing. But I think that you just need to accept there is definitely going to be some roller coaster when it comes to Jordan Love and his fancy production. If you're here, if you're watching, it doesn't even matter if you're not watching live, you can get those questions in the comments below. Tom and I will work all week. We will answer 100% of your questions that you get them in, whether it's start sit questions, redraft trade, dynasty questions, or you just want to ask Tom what hats he's wearing today. Get them in the comments below and we'll answer 100% of those questions before Sunday. The final matchup, it feels like this would, could have been an awful lot sexier two, three weeks ago. Right now, you've got the Jacksonville Jaguars who have completely changed their offense in the last two weeks. We've seen Travis Etienne suddenly in a timeshare. We've seen Calvin Ridley getting reduced blitz and actually being able to work properly against corners. 
do you think that there's some upside that this could be an interesting matchup, or do you think that this is just going to be a one-sided affair and uh, and sadly destroy some people's fancy hopes? Well, it all kind of rests on Jake Browning, doesn't it? And what his ability is to keep the ball moving. And he's looked okay. I mean, it's definitely a situation where he's kind of like padded his stats as the game's gone on a little bit. It's not been fantastic for those around him. You know, Jamar Chase had four receptions for 81 yards last week. Joe Mixon had 100% of running back touches, but still wasn't really able to turn it into anything fantasy viable. What we're hearing from the Bengals is that T. Higgins is pushing to play this week, which kind of surprises me because I feel like there's just no reason T. Higgins should be out there at this point without a contract with the games out of hand. Tanner Hudson, he's had at least four catches in four straight games. The Jags, they allow 12 most fantasy points to tight ends. So if you play in DFS showdown, looking for a bit of a dart throw, I don't mind him. Tyler Boyd, he's been wide receiver 62 and 74 over the last two weeks. So I'm kind of really struggling to come up with an argument for him because he's a player who needs volume and he needs those catches to get anywhere. And he's just not going to do that with Jake Brown. And on the Jags side, yeah, Calvin Ridley's coming off his two most productive uh, games back-to-back all year. He's at 192 yards, three touchdowns, and a two-point conversion combined across the last two. And it has come at the expense of Travis Etienne, who is now in a timeshare, as you mentioned. And for Etienne, it's three straight games outside the top 20. But the Bengals, their run defense ranks 29th in DVOA. So we saw last week that Najee Harris, Jalen Warren could pretty much do what they wanted against the Bengals run defense for just the re- this Bengals team with or without Joe Burrow wasn't going to make a deep playoff run this year because the defense has regressed enough. And I know Lou Anna Maruno is somebody who's a fashionable name to hype up around the league, but the Bengals lost too much quality, didn't replace it, didn't do enough to be proactive about it. And that ultimately would have cost them one way or another without Joe Burrow. Uh, in terms of Christian Kirk, I'm finding him a bit of a hard start this week because he's only had seven receptions combined in the last two games. I think that you can tell yourself a story where okay, he does okay here, but I just I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's going to be this week for Kirk. And then you know if if the Jags are really doing what they want, maybe they finally get Evan Ingram his touchdown. Still no touchdown this year. The Bengals allowed a third most fantasy points to the tight end position. And Trevor Lawrence has talked about wanting to get Evan Ingram a touchdown. That kind of stuff seems to matter. Yeah, I think this this could be a game where the Jaguars are so far up that they can start focusing on things like, oh, we're up two touchdowns, right? Let's focus on trying to get Evan Ingram into the end zone. Do you think Jamar Chase, look, he didn't have a great week last week. He was bailed out by some tip passes that he managed to pull in rather ridiculously, quite frankly. Do you think that this could be the type of week where it's, they're just saying, look, Jamar Chase is our best player. We're just going to feed him the ball and he ends up getting 10 to 15 targets all in and around the line of scrimmage and he can just you know, be that PPR scam and, and hopefully do enough to kind of pay off the price that people have you know spent to acquire him? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's not going to be particularly pretty, but I think you kind of just have to start him and hope that's what happened. The only other thing of note is the Bengals today talked up Chase Brown, said that 
for both him and their benefit. They need to see what he can do. And it makes sense because, like I say, Joe Mixon had 100% of running back opportunities last week. Joe Mixon will not be on the Bengals next year. I don't see any reason why he would be. And Chase Brown, they probably need to find out what they've got. So, yeah, even if they're losing, it probably plays better to them to actually get a good evaluation on players like Chase Brown who and Tanner Hudson. Yeah, absolutely. Couple of questions in the chat. We're saying Cruz is asking McBride or Ferguson. Uh, this is McBride for me. I'm, I'm not overly concerned by the the injury report. Do you agree? Yeah, I don't think that the Cardinals would have released Zacherts today if they had any worries about Trey McBride. Yeah, agree. And then uh, RS German saying, would you start Geno Smith or Christian Watson in the Superflex spot? This is Geno Smith for me. Yeah, it's Geno Smith. I, I really dislike starting non-quarterbacks in the Superflex spot unless I absolutely have to. And even though it's against the Cowboys, I think, yeah, I've just kind of just got to lean towards that quarterback spot. I also have to say, if, if that's your opinion of in a pickle, you should come and have a look at some of my rosters because we've, <laughs> we've six teams on by and injuries and stuff. I've got an awful lot worse people starting than Geno Smith and Christian Watson this week. But that's it. That is the week 13 slate. Thank you ever so much for joining us. Remember, hit the thumbs up, hit the subscribe, get those comments in below. And if you want to get in the Discord, if you want all that juicy, exclusive content, hit that join button down below. You will not be disappointed. We'll be back later in the week. Tom will have his DFS videos. Of course, I will have a fantasy game day video. Best of luck for those of you playing players in the Thursday night game. And of course... Best of luck for later in the week.